Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for our Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored by Alert Media. We're going to give our audience just a moment to settle in today, and we'll start the presentation shortly. Thank you everyone for being here today for our Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored by Alert Media. We are gonna give our attendees just another few moments to get settled in today, then we'll begin our presentation shortly. Thank you. Hello everyone and welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast, What to Expect from OSHA in FY 2023, sponsored by Alert Media. My name is Barry Botino and I'm an Associate Editor at Safety and Health. Before we get started, I have a few housekeeping items to share with you all. As a disclaimer, the views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or the magazine endorses those items. After today's presentation, there will be a Q&A with our speakers. If you have a question for the Alert Media team, please send it to us at any time during the event today by clicking the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, typing in your question, and pressing the send button. After the event, you'll also be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. The survey will open in a different screen after this webinar. Your input is very important to us because it helps us to improve our future webcasts. Finally, this webcast will be archived so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com events, or you'll also receive a link in our post-event email. Now I'd like to welcome in Katie Gowen, Senior Producer at Alert Media, to take us through today's event. Hello, Katie. Hi, Barry. Thank you so much for having us today, and hello, everyone. I am very excited for today's discussion. Our featured expert today is just a really true, true expert in regulatory matters, and as you all know, OSHA is preparing for an increased agenda this year, so I'm excited to jump right into it with some introductions. So first we have Courtney Malvo. He's a principal in the Richmond, Virginia office of Jackson Lewis PC, and he's the co-leader of the firm's Workplace Health and Safety Practice Group. He represents employers cited by OSHA and other regulatory agencies. And Courtney also represents business associations in both state and federal legislative and regulatory matters. And he represented industrial employers on the Virginia Safety and Health Codes Board. Before joining Jackson Lewis, he enforced occupational safety and health laws as Virginia's labor commissioner. And he served as president of the National Association of Government Labor Officials. So as you can see, we are all in very good hands today. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks, Katie. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. Well, I'd also like to welcome Peter Steinfeld, who is our expert on all things communication. Peter has been involved in the emergency communications industry for more than 20 years now. He's the Senior Vice President of Safety Solutions at Alert Media, so he works with a wide range of organizations to support their business continuity, emergency preparedness, and employee safety initiatives. He is also the host of Alert Media's podcast series called the Employee Safety Podcast, and he interviews subject matter experts from major organizations and agencies like McDonald's, Salesforce, FEMA, the CDC, and many, many more. 
And fun fact, Courtney was actually a guest on the show last fall. We did a special episode on OSHA's National Emphasis Program for Extreme Heat. So you guys are definitely going to want to check out that episode when you get a chance. But back to you, Peter. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure to have you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for attending. We really appreciate it. We sure do. Well, I want to quickly just go over the agenda so we all know what to expect for the next hour or so. First, Peter is going to start by discussing the evolving roles of EHS professionals. Then we're going to turn it over to Courtney to explain exactly what you need to know about current and upcoming OSHA initiatives. And then he's also going to give some tips for both compliance and investigations. So you guys want to check that out. And then Peter's going to go over some best practices for how to communicate your policies, procedures, um, safety updates, anything that you might need to communicate with your people. So before we get into that, I do want to go ahead and just launch our first poll of the day. And I encourage you guys to participate in the polls throughout because it really helps us guide the discussion, but also kind of get to know exactly what your needs are so we can address them. So if you'll take a moment to answer the question on your screen, right now we're asking, how concerned are you about complying with OSHA's recent or upcoming regulatory changes? So just with the information that you have now, how concerned are you about compliance? Would you say extremely concerned, concerned, maybe neutral, not concerned? Or perhaps this is not applicable to your current role, which is understandable as well. So I'm going to give this just a few more seconds, if you could all get your answers in. And then I think let's go ahead and close out this poll and we'll see some results. Perfect. Thank you so much. Okay, so 40% are saying concerns, but kind of a close second to that is neutral. So Courtney, you're the expert here. Is that about what you're expecting to see? Or is there anything surprising about that to you? Uh, not really about the concerned. I think that's appropriate. Uh, on the neutral, I think there's there might be some things happening uh, with OSHA that you're not aware of. And so I don't want you to lose sleep, but I, I think there's some things you need to be paying attention to that are happening now. Got it. Peter, anything to add to that? No, that was the same observation. I think there's just some new information that people may not be aware of. So hopefully we can shed light on some of that today. Absolutely. Alrighty. Well, thank you both for your thoughts on that. And then I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Peter now, who's going to talk about the evolving role of EHS professionals, but most specifically why it has become increasingly challenging to juggle all of your current responsibilities. So Peter, it's all yours. All right. Thank you so much, Katie. Appreciate it. Um, I have heard from so many of our customers here at Alert Media, our partners, and even as Katie mentioned, podcast guests who are on the show. Uh, these are folks who are in EHS roles, that they've experienced a huge shift in their purviews in just the last few years. They're still responsible for duties like complying with agency regulations, overseeing site and equipment inspections, and doing things like conducting safety meetings or trainings, but their scope has expanded. And I'm sure many of you here today have experienced this as well. Um, these days, it's not just about keeping your on-site employees physically safe from harm, like it has been historically. Now it's more about keeping a hybrid workforce, both physically and psychologically safe from harm. Um, according to the NSC, more than 85% of Americans say that work actually impacts their mental health. And the NSC really encourages employers to prioritize protecting employee mental health and safety on an equal level as physical safety, which I think is important to point out. Uh, now that's a lot for you to be accountable for as an EHS professional. And it requires a lot of additional tools and skill sets. And you're already wearing so many hats and are expected to be experts in new areas, but you've got to be simultaneously maintaining the same or perhaps uh, give even more focus to the laws and regulations that protect your people while they're on the job. Um, and even though you're taking on more responsibility, it doesn't mean you have more to work with. And this is a big theme that we see out there. Many of you are relying on the same or oftentimes just less resources, budget, technology, things like that. Uh, in fact, a recent national safety and salary survey actually revealed that safety leaders are increasingly being asked to do more with less just across the board. So the question really is, why is that? Um, well, when you think about it, a few reasons come to mind. 
First and foremost, the global threat landscape continues to intensify in disasters and crises. They're increasing both in size and frequency. But there's also this other point. There's a, a stronger likelihood of concurrent emergencies or disasters these days. Just think back to the pandemic, plus hurricane, plus winter storm, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And you're having to deal with both of those at the same time. Um, second, the pandemic really did shine a spotlight on the importance of mental health and well-being in the workplace, resulting just on a heightened focus on the psychological safety of workers, which we referenced on the last slide. Um, and then lastly, a lot of organizations are experiencing labor or economic issues, like attracting and retaining talent. That's been difficult. Um, rising costs due to inflation, and then even layoffs. So this means that a lot of safety teams are just running super lean or they're really severely understaffed. And going back to that national survey I mentioned earlier, it was about 1,100 safety professionals. Uh, they were asked, what's the biggest workplace challenge that they faced last year? And in the results, by far, the most common answer was a need for more staff, more employees, more resource, uh, resources, uh, and then just more support in general, because there's so much to do. Uh, but wait, there's more. <laughs> uh, at the same time, as many of you are challenged with doing more with less, OSHA, and we're going to talk about it a lot today, has increased their agenda. Um, they issued more than 22,000 violations in 2022, and that was just within the top 10 most cited standards. So there were even a whole lot more than that. Uh, OSHA also increased its maximum penalties for violations last year, as well as enhanced enforcement. That's always tough, uh, which you'll definitely hear more about from Courtney a bit later on. Um, they also set a bigger annual inspection goal for 2023, so it's coming, uh, which is bigger than ever before. And they have nearly 30 actions in the hopper for later this year. So all things to be thinking about. Now, these changes could potentially put even more pressure on EHS professionals who, as we've already said, are spread so thin. So when it comes to doing more with less and contending with the changes in regulations, you really just can't approach safety and compliance in the same manner that you always have. Regulation changes mean changing tactics and strategies, and that can mean updating policies and procedures, enhancing training, and improving communication with employees and stakeholders that are involved. Uh, and we know it's not easy. Um, in fact, it's pretty difficult to follow the law while continuously striving to improve workplace safety. We just hear it all the time, and we certainly empathize. Uh, but unfortunately, there's no crystal ball to know exactly what OSHA is going to do and when. So that's why we teamed up with Courtney and Jackson Lewis for expert guidance on the topic. Uh, Courtney, I mean, I've, I've talked to him extensively on this before, but absolutely has his finger on the pulse of all these regulatory matters, uh, especially where OSHA is concerned. And he's going to break down what you need to know about the current and some of these upcoming OSHA initiatives that many of you might not be aware of. So, Courtney, with that said, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. Peter, thank you. And, uh, you know, you, you you set the stage well, because uh, I, you're right. I mean, the things that are happening now. Uh, are going to have uh, a real impact for the foreseeable future. So uh, let's just jump right into it and talk about what exactly is happening over the agency now. So I was just at a conference at the American Bar Association, and it was all the OSHA lawyers nationally. And it was a great chance to talk with the ass assistant uh, secretary in charge of OSHA and all of the top brass of the agency. And uh, so you're not just looking at the website, you're not just looking at the news releases, you're talking directly with those who are making policy and getting it straight from the horse's mouth. And I will tell you that the emphasis throughout the conference from the top all the way through all the leadership of OSHA, the, the continual messaging was on emphasis for protecting the vulnerable worker. And so what they have in mind is, is when they say vulnerable worker, are those who are most likely to be exposed to hazards, least likely to feel like they can speak up and report. Um, they're the lower paid workers. They might be those who are members of ethnic uh, and racial minorities, uh, female workers, a lot of those blue collar hourly jobs. So uh, it's certainly the immigrant workers and OSHA now is um, uh, uh, now has authority to use what are called U and T visas to give some measure of protection to uh, undocumented workers who are participating in OSHA or Department of Labor inspection. Those are the types of folks that they're really focused on. So if there's a theme that you're kind of picking up on throughout uh, what we talk about, that is it. Okay, 
So part of it is the new standards, but also part of it is how they enforce. And uh, they say in Washington, D.C., personnel's policy, and that couldn't be more true now. And so who's in charge has a whole lot to do with what happens when it comes to enforcement and, and how um, standards are being enforced. So one of the big changes that came up is a change to what's called the Severe Violator Enforcement Program. And so that's a program that it, it's been around for uh, a couple decades, but um, that really focused on certain specific high hazard industries. And um, when you're in the program, you're on a list and you, you've encouraged certain violations and you're on this list for um, follow-up inspections um, until you can actually have a clean inspection, get off the list and show that you've kind of turned things around. Well, OSHA just expanded that list. It's not just a few of the highest uh, hazard industries. It's everybody. So uh, for those who are, uh, you know, if you have, uh, you know, more certainly egregious violations, and that of course is in the eye of the beholder, or if you have repeated violations uh, within a certain time period, normally three to five years, if you have certain types of violations, regardless of what industry you're in, you could wind up on that list. And so we're, we're, we're seeing an expansion of uh, employers who are landing on that, that list. And uh, it's not where you want to be. You, when you get attention from the agency, you want it to be positive. You don't want it to be this kind of attention. Another thing that they're doing it's called instance by instance. So I, I usually ask for a show of hands who got an OSHA citation and a few brave souls might raise their hand, but I can't do that here. But if you have, or if you've seen one, you've seen that it, you know, you might have multiple violations of machine guarding, but you might just get one citation for it with one penalty. Um, and so you, you know, there are different standards. I've got my standard book right here. I keep it with me. I know. Uh, but uh you know, so when they cite, they may hit you for a number of instances under one citation or one item. Instance by instance breaks it up and assigns a separate penalty for each instance. So instead of a $15,625 penalty for a, Mac, for a serious violation, if you have five of them, what's 15,625 times five? That's what we're talking about. And the emphasis is really on enforcement to the point where employers feel it so much that they, you know, it, it, for deterrent effect. And then finally, penalties are increasing every year. And, you know, inflation is painful uh, for a lot of us, but especially for employers, because now the penalties we are used to from just a few years ago, $7,000 tops is now more than double. Uh, and so, and inflation has really increased, as I mentioned, to that $15,625 number. And willfuls, um, repeats, uh, we're talking uh, over $156,000 per item maximum. Hey, Courtney, quick question there before we move on. The list that you mentioned, am I clear in that that's public record? Like anyone can look at that list and find these organizations' names? Oh, on the... Yes. And yeah. you know what? Okay. Public shaming. I I, I call it public shaming. It's, it, it's, right. it's right. And they're calling out certain employers that uh, are either severe violators or, um, uh, in, you know, they're putting out more press releases. So they're using that as a tool as well. And that's information that, uh, of course, goes to industry competitors, unions, news sources, you name it. Got it. Thank you so much for that. All right, moving on. Okay, so another thing, and this really launched um, more in earnest last year. And two years ago, we got hit with a heat wave to the point where in the West, in the Midwest, um, the heat wave got so bad early in the summer, if not in the spring, uh, and they just weren't ready for it. And unfortunately, there were a couple dozen fatalities that, that year. And so OSHA has really jumped on this. And if there's anything that is a, a close second to COVID on the on OSHA's uh, radar in this administration, it's heat. And it's not just outdoors. It's now both indoor and outdoor. And so OSHA has opened up thousands of heat illness inspections. And when they noted at the conference, I was just that, 
that it is when they come in to inspect for heat exposure, they find all the machine guarding, they find all the forklift uh, training, all those other things that are happening at your work site. And it just opens up a panoply of things that they can look for when they come because of heat. So that that's something that's really hitting construction, it's hitting manufacturing, warehouses. I mean, it's really hitting those industries. So um, there are industries that are targeted in this emphasis program. And by emphasis program, those, those resources that Peter was talking about, the increased inspections, this is where they're happening. This is one of the key places. And so uh, they're targeting 70 industries, many of which you never thought would wind up in OSHA's radar, but they're indoors, maybe the HVAC system's not keeping up. And so that's where they're putting a lot of those resources. It's opening up not only heat illness inspections, but inspections for a variety of other things. So um, OSHA is working on a standard specific to heat exposure. What will be in standard, we're not sure, but I will tell you the associate, the assistant labor, um, uh, the, the assistant director of labor who's in charge of OSHA led California's OSHA program. Now I led uh, one myself and mine is, it happens to be in Virginia. He led California. California is really one of the most active in enforcement, most first to have, I believe a heat standard at all, um, really first out the gate on a lot of things. And, and you know, enforcement is a high priority. So, um, you know, that's the environment that some of our leadership has come from. And so they're taking those lessons from their heat standard, bringing it to D.C. for federal OSHA. OK, COVID. <laughs> We're smile. not done with COVID? I what know, you know, and sometimes you laugh because otherwise you might cry. Uh, yeah. COVID is still on their radar. And so um, yeah, there is um, a standard that, uh, and this is really, I'll just kind of glance over this. It's, there was an emergency. We, we all heard about the vaccination or testing standard that um, eventually was revoked by OSHA in the middle of legal challenges. But there was one also, uh, an emergency standard that remained uh, for the entire six months for uh, healthcare workers and healthcare employers. And so OSHA has proposed a permanent standard for COVID-19 for healthcare. And that is under review by the Office of Management and Budget and other agencies are looking at it. And just as of uh, the conference I just got back from, they were still under review and it's not revoked. So that's something to kind of keep an eye open for. Now, if you're not in healthcare, the right side of the screen is something to kind of keep an eye on. It's the permanent infectious diseases standard. And it's actually not new. It's kind of old news. It was pre presented a couple of administrations ago, but COVID has made it a whole lot more urgent. It really puts some rocket boosters under the push to get an, a permanent infectious diseases standard generally. And so I think that, look, <laughs> I still have them. I got my face mask. I got, you know, all, all that great, the hand sanitizer. Um, it, I, I think it's going to include the health screenings. Uh, I think it's going to include uh, times when if face coverings are required or, you know, revisiting testing, um, vaccination, et cetera. We don't have the text of it, but that's something that OSHA has pledged to work on. And so uh, it's going to come out and uh, I think it will. And uh, it's going to address a lot of respiratory diseases, so not just COVID, but, you know, uh, flu or tuberculosis, you know, and also some non-respiratory diseases as well. So, um, so we'll see when that comes out. But I think the health screenings and uh, maybe some of the other protective measures, um, if it becomes necessary, could come back and we'll have a standard on point. All right. Now, I know when I say the words electronic record-keeping requirements, it doesn't tend to get people hot and bothered, but this is extremely important because, um, again, I'd ask people to raise their hands how many people keep those OSHA logs. 
I mean, what a fun exercise that is. That's the log of all the injuries and illnesses that we um, that are recordable under OSHA standards over the space of a year. And then we provide those now electronically, at least in summary format, to the agency. OSHA now is moving. And again, I think, honestly, it's using shaming as a um, tool to get employers to comply. Um, but the the, the agency is pushing to for a change in that rule to uh, require employers to report not just the summary data in aggregate of number of injuries and illnesses they're having and the nature of them, but actually the list of those, all of the injuries and illnesses. And keep in mind, uh, by and large, they usually have a name attached to them. And so um, there are privacy issues. Um, if your injury and illness logs are out there for the world to see, again, um, it's there for a union to see, it's there for the news media to see, it's there for your industry competitors to see, you name it. And, and you know, the difference between the record, the OSHA 300 logs and the standards is that it's, it's a no-fault reporting. In other words, if you record an inj injury and illness, it's not because you necessarily violated one of the standards. It's just because someone got hurt or ill. And by the and that happens when you're at work just as much as when you're at home or out on the street or anywhere else. And so um, it, it's something to kind of keep an eye on because that's information that's going out and, um, thing, and fingers may point back to the employer when sometimes it doesn't necessarily belong, uh, point in that direction. So... OSHA wants to lower the threshold of people who have to report or who have to uh, transmit this uh, data electronically. And it's going to reduce, it used to apply just for employers that have 250 or more employees at a, at a work site. That threshold is dropping to 100. If you have over 100 or more employees at your work site, and then suddenly you have to put this information out on, on individual illnesses and, and injuries, that's information you're really going to want to take a very close look at before you before you finalize that log. So that's that's something that uh, OSHA is pushing for. Uh, we're not there, but I do expect to see that happen. Real quick question, Courtney. So even injuries that are not perhaps currently required to be reported to OSHA, are you saying that though, like any illness or injury will need to be reported? Well, you know, and we, in OSHA world, there's recording and reporting and they say, okay. you know, but recordable are those injuries and illnesses that tend to require some kind of treatment beyond a Band-Aid or a soft cover or some kind of first aid. Um, and, and there are more specific definitions, but that tends, that's what that tends to be. Um, and then reporting are the more serious ones where God forbid, if you had a fatality or inpatient hospitalization or uh, loss of an eye or an amputation, things like that. And that's when you actually have to pick up the phone or get on your computer and contact OSHA. And so this all really, everything I talked about is under the recording, which is all those things, you know, from serious to the, the nicks and cuts that require uh, treatment beyond first aid, all of those things that are on your 300 logs that's what I'm talking about for electronic uh, record keeping requirements in this context. And is that like a violation for HIPAA or anything like that? Or are those agencies not talking to each other or how does that work? There's actually, a, there's an exemption under HIPAA for exactly this. So you're not going to run under, you're not going to run into problems with HIPAA. If, if you're a hospital and let's say someone gets hurt and you treat them there, well, then, you know, the treatment aspect is something that HIPAA might kick in for. But actually for OSHA record keeping purposes, there, there's, a, there's an exemption for you. So you're okay with that. But I got to tell you, there are folks who under record and that can really come back to bite you because OSHA gets mad especially in the context of an inspection, they think you're hiding the ball. And you know what? I love, I love safety professionals. I do. They have a tendency sometimes, there are a few that just over-record. And, um, and I think, you know, especially during COVID, people were, were recording every COVID case there was, and it just got ridiculous. But if you over-record, that can also just know that's information that could become public. 
And so you just want to be very careful. And that's a whole other subject, but the requirements, the specific requirements for what's actually required to be on that log, just make sure you're following that uh, and and that you're not over-recording or under-recording. Okay. And then one more question on this, if you don't mind, and then we can definitely move on. But when you said it applies to organizations with 100 employees or more, is that total employees or per site? Per site. Per site. Per okay, site. Thank you very much. Right. Yeah. So a company might have some that are, have to comply with this electronic record keeping and some that don't. Got it. Yeah. Okay. We're getting a ton of questions on that, but we'll move on for now and we'll, we'll hit some of those up uh, towards the end of the presentation. And I tell you, this is a great crowd. I, you rarely get people who get really excited about record keeping. <laughs> 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 so th- this is great. That's um, what I do every Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> so, uh, and for the rest, it's a great cure for insomnia. Um, so other things that are on OSHA's agenda, it's an ambitious agenda. And I'm really kind of covering the ones that are, I think, going to impact employers the most and also have strong likelihood of actually happening. And so I was just dealing um, this week, unfortunately, with a, a fatality due to workplace violence. And, um, you know, that's OSHA's pretty focused on that. Now, mine actually was in in a manufacturing uh, setting, but uh, OSHA's focus, I I think, I think they're really, they're talking about focusing on psychiatric care, but um, in in places where, you know, or maybe um, places where, you know, you you tend to have um, folks present who might, you know, at times the workplace violence is an issue, but again, it, it, it also applies where, you know, I, in the situation I'm thinking about, uh, you had two employees getting a fight and, um, it escalated the following day. And, um, that's really tragic the way it happened, but, uh, you know, but, but thankfully that employer had a policy. It had a no weapons policy. It enforced it. They disciplined people. Great. So if, if you're on that side of the line, and especially if you tend to have workplace violence and incidents, then you're going to stay off of OSHA's radar, or at least have good facts so that if OSHA comes, um, then, then, then you, it'll be, you'll be okay. Um, but OSHA does is looking into workplace violence as potentially developing a standard. And, and so that'll be interesting to see what that looks like and what are the requirements. And, you know, in every standard, OSHA includes a written program for those who fall under it and with specific elements and training and whistleblower protection. And so having all those pieces in place, uh, even now before there's a standard, especially if you tend to have workplace violence incidents occur, that's a really good way to be on the right side in case something happens. Um, OSHA is also looking at emergency response as um, on its agenda. And so, um, and that includes having emergency response plan in case of disaster or emergency, like Peter's talking about. Um, and, um, and also knowing, you know, have, and there's also a training component as to, okay, what do we do? How do we communicate? And who does the communicating? Is it 911? Is it internal? Who does it go to? All those things. So, um, and also, you know, there's tr- training just like we've done since we were kids, the, the fire drill training um, and, and the training that we do in case of, of various disasters. And then process safety management, that really is uh, more uh, in the chemical field. So uh, if you're dealing with high hazard uh, chemical uh, hazards, then, 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 then we may see some activity on that. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for those examples. That insider knowledge is just priceless, I'm sure, to this audience. So thank you for letting us know what to expect there. But I do want to interrupt briefly just to launch another audience poll. So this time I'd like to know which OSHA initiative that Courtney just covered do you feel the least prepared to address this year? So the least prepared for of the ones he just mentioned. So is it the new approaches to enforcement, perhaps? the National Emphasis Program focused on extreme heat, the COVID-19 and infectious diseases, 
electronic record keeping requirements, or maybe it's one of those um, other three 2023 agenda items that he just mentioned. So I'm going to give this just another few seconds. If you guys could go ahead and get your answers in, that would be great. And then I think let's go ahead and share the results. Okay, well, everything is represented here. So that, that says a lot to me personally, but it's looking like our strongest two answers are the new approaches to enforcement and some of the other 2023 agenda items. Is that kind of on par with what some of your clients ask you about, Courtney, or what you're hearing at conferences? Or is this kind of a, a different response than you were expecting? It is, it is. And I have to tell you, and of course, COVID is, I mean, in most people's mindset, that's rear view mirror stuff. But, you know, the one thing I kind of do beat the drum on and it's a sleeper issue is electronic record keeping. Mm. It's just, I know it's a bit of a niche issue and one that safety professionals handle. But um, I, I think that's one that's going to have a big impact that is going to catch a lot of folks by surprise. Absolutely. Anything to add there, Peter? No, I think it just makes sense that the new approaches to enforcement worry people because I, what did you say earlier, Courtney? Personnel means pop makes policy or however you phrased it is so true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for your thoughts there. We're going to go ahead and move on now to some tips for compliance um, and what to do and maybe not do during an inspection. So Courtney, back to you. We'll get to you, Peter, I promise. <laughs> I think they want to hear from Courtney and I see all <laughs> these questions coming in, which are great. And I'll try to get through the last of my part very quickly so we can get to all these questions. <laughs> yeah, And I'll do the best I can to be efficient, but also hit everything. And, you know, Katie, you and I, and Peter, you know, I, I there are so many stories from when I was in my enforcement days and they have carried forward in my, my, my representation employer days. And, you know, uh, it's 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 the, the 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 practice tips are not in a book anywhere really um they're here they're personal experience and so i'm telling you the things in which i've seen employers step in it and i you know either either when i was on the enforcement side or now they hand me a case and my facts are messed up because we have all kinds of bad facts in the record and so this is the stuff i need people to know to do um, to really prevent, these are the biggest things they can do to prevent uh, liability under OSHA. So the first is, uh, you know, knowing what are the rights of employees and also the responsibilities of managers during the OSHA interviews. So OSHA shows up, they knock, they come in, they have an open conference, they walk around, they start interviewing people. The interviews are so critical, especially in the opening minutes of that inspection. And so you may not have your lawyer there and you may be caught off guard and whoever it is that opens the door might just start talking. Could be a plant manager, could be a foreman, who knows? But when that individual speaks, that's not the same as a non-managerial employee. Um, you know, an hourly worker who just does their job and doesn't necessarily oversee others when they speak, they just speak to what they know and what they see. Um, and that could be accurate. It could be inaccurate. Happens all the time. When a manager speaks, they, the, their statements are imputed to the company and admissions that come out of their mouths in the first few minutes just kill the case. So that's something to really be aware of. And, and I do trainings to managers uh, on exactly how to handle inspections from the very first critical minute. Um, also, employees have rights, but making sure they know their rights helps them to be more confident because what happens is OSHA goes into your conference room with the employee, they close the door and you're on the other side of the door. That's how it happens. I have been on the inside during these interviews. I know exactly what happens. And so look, um, first of all, the employee has a right to that interview in private, but the employee has a right to say no. They don't, and, and just because someone has a badge and they act authoritative, it doesn't mean the employee has to do it, especially if they just witnessed or were part of a traumatic situation um, or they just don't feel like talking to OSHA. And so they should know you have a right to talk to OSHA you have a right not to talk to OSHA and there's no consequence either way. Another thing OSHA does, they will write down their version of what they heard the employees say and they'll slide the paper across the table and hand them a pen and say, here, sign this. They don't have to sign anything and they don't know it. So your employees need to know you have a right to sign a statement and you have a right not to. 
And there are nightmare scenarios when someone doesn't have the reading glasses or maybe English isn't their first language and there's difficulty in seeing or reading what's on the paper and they sign it anyway. And guess what? That statement goes in OSHA's file and they don't share it with us. And that's their case against us and we're flying blind in our defense. So let your employees know you have a right to sign a statement. You have a right not to. And there's no consequence to either way. And finally, OSHA inspectors are increasingly using this to record the interview. And you know what? I, I, I'm not perfect when I speak. I know it. And so you want folks to know that they have a right to either be recorded or to decline. And there's no consequence either way. So those are some really key things. And those are the early round things that happen that can really help with your case going forward. All right, uh, disciplinary actions. I gotta tell you, even in the most business friendly states and the most friendly inspectors, one thing they really wanna see is not just that you have a perfect policy in your notebook up on the shelf. If it's gathering dust, that's a problem. If you, uh, they don't necessarily want to know, uh, you know, did you say the right things in the meetings and record it, but are you disciplining infractions? And so let me tell you, um, you know, when it comes it, discipline, it, it, even if it's just a coaching, even if it's informal, even if it's verbal, make a note of it, because here's what happens in inspection. Um, you know, they, 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 you have all, you say, well, this employee, we trained the employee, they broke the rule, they knew it, and, and, and that's, and it's employee misconduct. But unless I can demonstrate that you discipline infractions on a regular basis before the incident occurred, I need to prove that. And if I can't, usually where employers drop the ball is on this piece or on having enough of a manager or supervisory presence to identify hazards as they're happening. That's usually where employee misconduct falls. So even if you don't have to be mean about it, but you know what? If you have real sweethearts of, for managers who just let things slide and are buddies with people, or you know, if you just kind of wag the finger, say, uh-uh-uh, you know, you, you, you need to, you know, don't, don't get around the machine guarding. You have to discipline. And if it isn't in writing, OSHA does not believe it exists. So record it, put it in a file, and keep track of your disciplinary actions. Kind of goes along with this next one, seems like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I document everything in writing. And so, yeah, disciplinary actions, the policy, the trainings, sign-up sheets. Because I had one at a construction site where a guy had his earbuds in and there are forklifts moving and the thing that inevitably is going to happen did, um, he did recover, but uh, um, you know, we, unfortunately, this is someone who had earbuds in on a regular basis and managers let it slide. Or maybe they someone wagged the finger said, uh-uh-uh, take the earbuds out and put your cell phone down, we're at work. And so, but I couldn't, I had no documentation of this. And so we just could not get employee misconduct as a defense and the citation stuck. All right. So here it is in a nutshell. Yes, your policies are important and making sure you have all the policies that are required in the standards, you got to have them but that's just a beginning. And so um, you need to make sure your managers are engaged there. And so OSHA's standard is, you know, managers uh, have a, are taking reasonable steps to identify hazards and violations. And that's completely contextual, depends on your situation, but um, you need your managers feeling empowered and, and engaged and present. You might even have some kind of record of their schedule so that you can prove your managers are engaged. Um, have it in writing. Um, I had a case where you know, a tree had fallen. They actually had and, and, and struck an employee and that was bad. I, I'll just stop there. And I deal with these situations all the time. And they had the training. They had perfect procedure. Uh, they had, uh, everybody was on board. Everyone knew it, but they never put it in writing. 
and that was a citation that stuck. So if it isn't in writing, it doesn't exist. Um, you don't want to have employees uh, complaining to OSHA as opposed to you because they feel unsafe at work. So I think the best thing, have some kind of a anonymous tip um, uh, mechanism um, in addition to HR, in addition to their manager and have multiple ways a person can uh, report either any any kind of complaints, but especially safety issues to uh, to you and 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 not necessarily um, revealing who they, their own identity. And then finally, I got to tell you, and I, Peter, I thought you kind of hit on this, but you know, uh, <laughs> a lot of lawyers tell you don't talk to OSHA. You know, I I, I got to tell you, having been on the enforcement side, the opposite is true. This. It's not just the standards. It's not just the law. It's relationships. And if you don't have an, a relationship with your area director or someone over at the agency now, get that. And you know what? Conferences, safety conferences are a great way to do it. Maybe you invite someone um, to come and speak and address your safety professionals, um, invite them over. And so I know it sounds scary and counterintuitive, but they want to help. They want to understand. And it's a great way. One of the biggest complaints I ever got when I was in enforcement role is that the inspectors had no idea what they're looking at. They have no idea about light veils. They have no concept of, of, of you know, safe walk, you know, what, the technology we have or our processes, no, no appreciation. Well, this is a great way to educate them without calling it education. And also having someone you can call if you have a question. And if you have, you know, fall protection, you're not quite sure if it's consistent with what OSHA would look at, then having a relationship with someone uh, at OSHA on the automatic dial, because I'm telling you, I've been on the inside of the room when the citations are written, I've signed them. And the conversation about you and your reputation is critical to the outcome. And they know if you're serious and they know if you're not. And if they have a sense that you're not, and, or they don't know who you are, it's not nearly the same result you'll get if you, they actually know you and know your commitment to safety. Excellent advice, Courtney. Thank you so much for that. And I do wanna to get to some um, advice and best practices on communication. So Peter, why don't we turn it over to you to talk about some of that? Absolutely. I'll get through it quickly. And Courtney, thanks so much. It's just so valuable to have someone who's been on both sides of the table because you can really bring just this different lens and perspective to things. So hopefully people found that to be really useful and we'll definitely get to your questions here as quickly as possible. I'll follow up with just a, a few slides here. Uh, so we've talked about the importance of proper plans and procedures and ensuring that you're conducting appropriate trainings. But another way to improve workplace safety and get your employees on board with regulation changes is to have an effective communication strategy. And the most fundamental component of an effective communication strategy is building trust with your employees. Now, in order to do that, you really need to make safety a part of your company culture. That's super important. The more you put safety at the front and center of everyday work, the more your people will trust that you actually have their backs and that you care about their safety and well-being. They're also more likely to listen when you communicate with them, which is huge. Um, it's also really important that safety starts at the top. That's part of being you know, fundamental in the culture of your organization. The leadership team really should be walking the walk and modeling safe practices every day, which will absolutely have a trickle-down effect on your frontline employees and help establish more of that trust that's so important. And then finally, practice soft skills when communicating with your employers, uh, I'm sorry, your employees or colleagues. Uh, that could be things like just supporting them with empathy demonstrating emotional intelligence or listening more actively. That's always something everyone can work on. Uh, take a real interest in their roles. Do something simple, like just learn people's names. That goes a really long way. Ask how they're doing or what their hobbies are. It's amazing the difference that can make. Just make sure people know that you care about them as people and not just workers. And that will make a big difference when you think about that incident where you've got someone that's being interviewed by, the, uh, by OSHA for a particular incident. All right, so moving on, uh, communicating your safety messages, uh, both often and effectively, I always say, is a key component of a successful communication strategy. Uh, for starters, you got to be transparent. Now, it doesn't mean that you need to recount every single detail uh, in great granularity about your safety decisions, but you really should be honest and direct about the message that you're conveying 
and what you're expecting the employee to do with that information. A lot of times they just don't know. So be clear. Um, it's also really helpful to explain the why behind any update or change. Your employees will absolutely get on board with your message a lot quicker uh, if they understand why something's happening and how the change will be impactful versus just being told to do something with zero context or explanation. And then finally, solicit feedback from your employees. They're really the folks who are performing the tasks on the front lines. So they're going to know better than anyone how safe their environment or equipment is or not, uh, or if they have concerns about their own personal safety and well-being. And then lastly, this is near and dear to my heart, but investing in a modern emergency communication solution can absolutely help streamline your communication efforts too. Uh, our system here at Alert Media, just a, a quick blurb on it, can help you reach the right people with targeted messages quickly and efficiently. Just a few clicks of your mouse or by using your thumb on your smartphone, you can initiate notifications to small or large groups of people across multiple channels all at once. Things like email, text, voice calls, mobile app pushes, computer pop-ups, and all sorts of other channels. And then you can even solicit feedback in the form of read confirmations to make sure someone actually read it, uh, or survey-style notifications where you're asking questions, getting replies back in real time. And that real-time feedback can be really helpful to understand who is and who's not actually receiving your messages, as well as providing you with insight on where to focus your efforts based on the nature of the responses that you're receiving. A lot more you can do with the system. But again, in summary, it all comes back to establishing trust. When you demonstrate and then communicate that employee safety is you, your top priority and your organization's top priority, your employees will absolutely be more productive and more loyal to your organization. And that's a big point. All right. Well, I hope you found these tips and best practices to be helpful. So back to you, Katie. Yeah, thanks, Peter. I do want to go ahead and just launch one final poll, and then we're going to get into some questions and also some additional resources for everyone. So, you know, you just heard from Peter, our communication expert, but Alert Media actually has a full roster, if you will, of experts in EHS, security, business continuity, crisis management. So we're here and ready to help. So if you could just take us a quick, or excuse me, take a quick minute to let us know if you'd like to hear more about that. If you say yes, we will happily follow up and get you the info that you need. Or you can say no, not at this time. And of course, no hard feelings. We're always here when you need us. So I'm going to give that just another second. And then I think let's just go ahead and close this poll out so we can move on to some questions because we are getting quite a few. And Courtney, I'm going to go to you first. Um, someone early on wanted to know, um, with all this added focus from OSHA and this increased agenda, do you recommend that businesses have a dedicated resource to manage compliance? Yes, absolutely. And oh, okay. if you're a large enough organization, you can sustain it. Sometimes they'll have, it's called EHS, environmental health and safety, or some type of person who's dedicated to that. Um, or sometimes for smaller organizations, it might be a component of someone who maybe handles HR or other things. But yes, and if you don't have that, then develop it externally. And so it could be a safety consultant on the outside. And so, and just having someone that you can ask these questions, but just make sure if it's a safety person, a consultant, that you're also getting a sense, uh, not only in terms of what the standards require, but also what your legal exposure might be and what and 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 also learning how to develop your legal defenses in case something happens. Okay, and then we're getting a lot of questions about um, employees knowing their rights or not knowing their rights and letting them know that they don't have to sign anything if they don't want to, they don't have to be recorded. Um, so let me kind of lump these questions together. First, does does OSHA allow for a translator to be present if that um, employee does not speak English as the first language? Or how do you recommend that employee really understands what's being asked of them? So yes, they can have a, a, a translator. And yes, I've tried to offer my own. <laughs> and that never works. Uh, OSHA gets their own. And just to make sure that that mm. remains private. Got it. And then should uh, a manager actually remind the employee like in front of the inspector, like, hey, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, or you don't have to sign this if you don't want to, or is that like a need to do beforehand thing? I would do it beforehand and I would do it in a very neutral way. The thing I'm trying to prevent is a second citation for whistleblowing for, for retaliation. And so if they engage in their right to protected activity, uh, to engage in an interview with OSHA. And if there is any perception 
that you might be antagonistic to it, either by the inspector or by the employee, that can invite a retaliation action. So you want to be very careful and very neutral about what employees do with respect to uh, inspectors. And is there a way for the organization to get a copy of the interview statement or anything that the employee says behind those closed doors, or is that strictly confidential? That's confidential. Now, um, if you feel organically that you can have a conversation with someone and ask open-ended questions if they want to talk and, you know, okay, that's fine. But again, um, if you're dealing with, for example, a labor uh, CBA negotiation or something in the, or there are contentious relations uh, and someone's looking for a way to try to allege uh, retaliation, back away, do the safe thing. So, um, so, but if an employee wants to share what they discuss, that's fine. Understand though, that the conversation they're having with you may be 180 degrees apart from what the conversation was moments before. Mm-hmm. And can you ever reschedule? Like if OSHA makes a surprise visit, can you ask them to come back another day or no? Nope, you can't do that. You can ask them to wait a reasonable amount of time, usually up to about an hour. Stick mm. in the conference room and give them coffee. Make a decaf. <laughs> I don't like caffeinated <laughs> inspectors. That's not a good thing. But but they can wait. And, and you know what? Have a, a point person you designate who's cool, stays cool, is knowledgeable, level-headed, good with people. And then I suggest a tandem of two people, one person to watch the inspector, ask a lot of open-ended questions and read their mind as much as he can. The second person is you take photos when they take photos, video when they take video. Um, And when they scrunch up their eyebrows and look at something, you ask, huh, what are you looking at? What do you see? Because what you're doing is you're building a dummy file. OSHA is building a case. It is going to be protected from you and anybody unless and until it's in litigation. Then I can get it in discovery. But until then, during the citation and the informal conference process and up to the contest, unless you're getting that information from the inspector real time during the inspection, you're going to wind up flying blind. Okay, one more question for you, Courtney. Um, When do you recommend that an organization... um, Hold on, I missed the question. Oh, when should we pursue legal representation if we do have an OSHA violation? You know, I I will tell you this. I've seen so many cases get blown in the first few minutes of admissions that are made. Um, And so I I think when OSHA knocks on the door, I can give really good advice in those first few minutes to prevent just the very first mistakes. It may or may not, you may or may not need counsel there. If you do, okay. Okay. And there are times when you need someone there and asserting your rights who knows the law. And sometimes um, I can just kind of coach you even from afar and just and just kind of talk through this so that you're mitigating the damage as you're going. So the earlier, the better, um, you know, but the, the, the cases that we lose, I mean, I oftentimes lose it because a safety manager is so conscientious that they confess all their sins in the root cause analysis and the investigatory report. And you know what? That has to be attorney-client privileged. It has to be attorney work product, at least for until we have our own investigation done and we really had a chance to think through. And then we're not putting things on a piece of paper because someone thought they were true because that can kill the case. Um, so, and also manager interviews. Sometimes a manager interview is a good move and sometimes it isn't. But if it is, it should be done with the, your counsel in the room and maybe even other managers, because you're making statements that are going, that are attributed to the company. And you don't want to have statements that are made that are going to kill your case in, in the, in the opening conference. Got it. Well, thank you so much. That is all the time we have for questions, but guys, we have two great blogs to send you to. If you need more alert media has a fantastic blog post called OSHA safety topics for 2023 training. You can find that at alertmedia.com. It's free. And then of course, Jackson Lewis has a series of workplace health and safety blogs that are highly educational and helpful. And you can find those on the blogs page at jacksonlewis.com. 
So just once again, I want to thank you both, Courtney, Peter, really appreciate having you here today. Um, if you uh, attendees would like to connect with you, they can do so on LinkedIn. So everyone can um, look up Courtney and Peter on LinkedIn and connect with them there. So thank you guys for being here. And I just want to say thanks to all of our attendees as well. Thank you to Safety and Health Magazine for hosting us today. You guys are such a great partner. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and turn it back over to you, Barry. Well, thank you, Katie. For our audience, we thank you all for joining us today, and we would appreciate you taking some time to share your feedback via our survey. A special thank you goes out to our terrific presenters, Katie Gowen, Courtney Malvo, and Peter Steinfeld, and the entire team from our sponsor at Alert Media for this insightful presentation today. This ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Take care, everyone, and have a safe day.